When you think of racism in North America, what comes to mind? Is it killings of black men by police in the United States, or the horrific legacy of residential schools in Canada? Well, for most people, what comes to mind is not racism against people of Asian descent. But if there's one thing the COVID-19 pandemic has taught us, it's that anti-Asian racism is alive in North America. And you don't have to look very far to find it. Just this week, a town councillor in Essex came under fire for tweeting that he had tested positive for, quote, the Chinese flu, unquote. But Chris Vanderdolen's tweet is just one example of something that we all need to be concerned about. And that is the focus of this week's episode of the Blackburn News Podcast, hosted by Haley Chang. Don't tell me go back home and this is my home, my only home, and I, I don't have any other citizenship. Hyun Jung Grant, Park Soon Chung, Sun Cha Kim, Yong A Yu, Tan Xiao Jie, Feng Dao Yo, Paul Andre Michaels, Delena Ashley Yuan. These are just some of the victims of anti Asian violence that has been taking place across Canada and the United States. Asians are being targeted for their race, women are being fetishized and brutalized, seniors beaten up on the streets. And these are just some of the incidents that have occurred. Before I came here, I never identified myself as Asian. I would just tell people either I'm Hong Kong or I'm Chinese. Once I got here, I noticed like they don't really know whether you are Vietnamese or Chinese or Japanese. So that's why um, for us to understand anti-Asian violence, we have to uh, understand how racism and racialization actually operates in uh, Canada. It's not about ethnicity. It's not about your cultural identity or whether you are immigrant or not. You just look alike. That was Rick Sin, one of the co-chairs at the Asian-Canadian Labour Alliance. ACLA consists of community activists and union organizers working together to promote racial justice and workers' rights. Rick Sin isn't alone in his experiences. They'll blend East Asia into one thing, be like, this is Asia, the rest doesn't matter. Even though like everyone on the continent has their own unique, beautiful culture. It, again, part of the fetishization is like we bundle East Asia into just like... And if you don't fit into that, they're like, all of a sudden, I don't like Asians. Southeast Asians are sometimes just clumped together. Like, we're all clumped together. It's just a monolith. Because, like, my my partner is um, half Filipino. Um, he does not look remotely Chinese. Um, but he grew up being called a Chinaman and a chink, which are, like, I mean, slurs that non-Chinese people shouldn't say. But they're also, like, uniquely tailored to Chinese people. Rick? Tegan and Erica are all from Ontario. Their experiences have happened in our communities. It shows us that racism actually does happen here in Canada. In 1885, the Chinese Immigration Act placed a $50 head tax, which is equivalent to $1,300 today, on every Chinese person that wanted to enter into Canada. In 1885, the Electoral Franchise Act took away Chinese Canadians' rights to vote in federal elections until 1947. And in 1920, the Dominion Elections Act took away the voting rights of Canadians with Japanese and South Asian heritage. And while those things are in the past, those roots have made it very easy for anti-Asian sentiments to return, as we have seen during the COVID-19 pandemic. A few months ago, when I was uh, crossing the street, there was a daddy crossing towards me and with his uh, daughters. When we were kind of crossing each other, and I actually already immediately I already like uh, kind of take a turn so to keep the distance. By the time I, I was turning, so that white man already yelled at me 
uh, started to yell at me and saying like six feet, six feet, six feet, and uh, really, really angry. And that actually tells like first, um, people are really angry, so they have to find outlet. And then second, we are the easy target. Rick's experience is not uncommon. From March 2020 to March 2021, over 1,000 cases of racist attacks and incidents from across Canada were reported on COVIDRacism.ca. However, anti-Asian racism is more widespread than these numbers, as many cases are not reported. Prior to the pandemic, Asians usually they report better mental health, but after the pandemic, they report poor mental health, and then their experience of racism explains. Partially, the the mental health gap. Professor Carrie Wu teaches sociology at York University and has been researching how the rise of racist incidents during the pandemic has affected the mental and physical health of Asian Canadians and Americans. When we think about anti-Asian racism, it's not just those people who directly experience, right? So also people like us, when we watch the videos, we hear about the news, and then from the media, from Twitter, we see those. Uh, attacks and incidents that those kind of inc- incidents affect us as well, right? We will we will think about over like uh, parents, or over children, and all that. Like so, those kind of like lead to stress. Racism can not only be experienced directly, but also like indirectly, right? And that indirect experience can also uh, affect people in negative ways. I've never been with an Asian girl before. I forgot you were Asian. You're basically white. You're really pretty for an Asian. Ask the Asian women in your life if they've heard those phrases before. Chances are they have. So I actually used to know somebody who was very much on this thought train, and at first I again was pretty complicit with it because I'm like, oh, I've heard this before quite a few times, but. It wasn't until I really reflected on those words. I'm like, okay, this is making me, as an Asian woman myself, this makes me feel like really disgusting about myself, and I can't quite pinpoint my finger why. And it goes back to that point of that dehumanization. Like, I'm not seen as a person. I'm seen as an object. You're not, you know, being attracted to me because you think I'm funny, because you think I'm smart, because you admire my accomplishments, because we just vibe well. You're attracted to me because you think I'm going to be your anime waifu, or you think I'm going to be a you know dragon lily, or whatever millions of stupid things I've seen people call Asian women, and it's completely false. But yeah, like it makes women Asian women seem like they can't be capable of leadership, like they can't be capable of asserting their wants and needs, and that's not healthy for relationship dynamics. It's not healthy for social dynamics when it's implied that a woman. Can't speak up for herself, you know, and that's what those stereotypes perpetuate and the fetishization perpetuates. Like, we're seen as someone to serve men. That was Erica, one of the co-organizers of the Stop Asian Hate Vigil and Rally that took place in London's Victoria Park on March 26. These comments and the fetishization of Asian women are not new to Erica and her co-organizers Tegan and Isa. They have been told time and time again that. They shouldn't feel offended or hurt, but rather complimented by these phrases. Many Asian Canadians feel as though it is hard to speak up against racism because there is an ongoing denial of the anti-Asian racist experience. Tegan shares her experience of racism growing up and the invalidation she felt when she finally stood up against the discrimination. And like I grew up、uh, doing. Like dancing at a Chinese dance studio,、um, where we would learn like traditional dances and stuff, and like 
people would just say, wow, that's like so weird. Um, no one had any respect for it. Um, and then also just being so invalidated about it. Like, um, as I mentioned, I grew up in dance and um, I wasn't always with like the traditional Chinese dance studio. So I moved on to a couple other dance studios in London. Um, and there's so much cultural appropriation in the costumes that they wear at dance competitions. So it's like people wearing like really kind of stylized, small kind of kimono-esque looking costumes with chopsticks in their hair. And I would say, hey, that's like cultural appropriation. And no one in my dance studio would back me. Like I had one friend who who backed me, but I had everyone else telling me I was too sensitive or that I was just trying to hop on a trend and that kind of stuff. Um, and like just me trying to bring up instances of racism and people telling me I was wrong or that it was just in my head or that I was overreacting. Um, even now it still happens when I called out Alehouse for using the phrase China virus. Everyone told me I was overreacting. I feel like a lot with the Asian experience, it's a mixture of, you know, trying to fight against racism and then trying to fight against people who are denying you even experience racism. After calling out the owner of the London Ale House in February for his poor choice in words, Tegan, along with Erica and Isa, organized the Stop Asian Hate Vigil and Rally here in London. They wanted to use this event to mourn for the people whose lives have been taken away from them during the Atlanta shooting and many other incidents across Canada and the States. Growing up here as an Asian person, as a Chinese person, I grew up hearing just like racist comments and racist taunts and stuff my whole life, um, but I hadn't really recognized them as racist. And so finally, it felt like this year, I was fully understanding like my own life and what I'd been through. Um, and I realized, you know, a lot of London probably doesn't hear our stories. A lot of Asians probably don't get to hear stories about themselves and um, get to talk about their own experiences. So it seems like a good opportunity to both mourn the Asian lives who have been taken and who have been attacked um, because it's such a rising issue right now. Um, and then also to allow Asian Canadians in London to reflect and feel validated and uh, be visible to London. There has been the Black Lives Matter movement and Idle No More, but we haven't seen a movement against anti-Asian hate at the same scale and level. If racism against the Asian community has been around for so long, how come it has taken so long for them to speak up? The amount of gaslighting that's occurred for so long against Asians here in North America. Um, like, I mean, I spoke about my individual experiences, um, but that's gone on forever of just Asians being told that they have it better than others. It's in part because of the model minority myth. It's in part because of the gaslighting and the invalidation. Um, I think a lot of things do contribute to that. And just us as a community being told not to make our own problems the forefront ever. We are expected, you know, to care about everyone else except ourselves. And I think that's a big reason for it. Because um, I know a bunch of the people I've talked to who are Asian, um, they've shared my experience in not being comfortable talking about their experiences, not recognizing that their experiences were racism, not feeling like they have the right to even talk about their own experiences. There are so many reasons why the Asian community tends to be more silent when it comes to discrimination against them. These reasons need to be tackled one by one, starting with the model minority myth that Tegan brought up. But what is the model minority myth? 
And why is it problematic? One of the uh, ideology that I want to point out is model minority myth. People assume like Asian uh, or uh, Asian immigrants so are doing well because they uh, work hard and they uh, also likely have their children uh, going to school and, and do well in uh, universities. And because they use Asian to say, uh, yeah, like we don't really need affirmative action because like immigrant or visible minority like Asian could actually do well without affirmative action. Tegan and Erica explains the issue with the model minority myth and how it is not helpful when trying to solve interracial conflicts and anti-Asian racism. It benefits nothing but white supremacy. Um, People who believe that the model minority myth is good for Asians and that we benefit from it don't understand what it is at all. Um, It just covers up all of the issues within the Asian community. You know, one of the biggest like wealth disparities or wealth gaps um, between rich and poor is within the Asian community. Um, And so Asians living in poverty are completely ignored because people think, oh, well, Asians are successful. You know, they're doctors, they make it big. Um, And even the Asians who do who are able to find that kind of success in their lives are still treated as perpetual foreigners. Much of my family lives in the slums of the Philippines. I'm going to be completely honest. So for me to be in a fortunate position like this, it's not the model minority myth. It's the hard work of my mother, like literally leaving her home country to get here. And that's the story for a lot of Asians who happen to make it, who happen to go to university, get a good job. It's their parents had to grind so hard to get them there. And it wasn't just hand it to you. So we've talked about the model minority myth, the Asian stereotypes, the fetishization of Asian women. We've heard the stories and we know that anti-Asian racism is real and happens here in Canada and even closer to home in our communities. So moving forward, how can we solve this issue? How can we make Canada a truly diverse and multicultural country? White supremacy and racism is embedded in our government, our healthcare and education systems. How can we eliminate racism if we don't start in the laws that we make and the things we teach our children? I want to make it very clear. Racism targets racialized people, but the solutions have to be everybody's responsibility. For uh, our allies, whether they're white or not, it's about how to actually keep this uh, dialogue and keep the conversation going on. Because uh, I think, as I mentioned, denial is as problematic as racism itself. Rather than like brushing us off and like listen to us, uh, engage in conversation with us. For our allies, if they are in position of power, I would invite them to consider to actually also make space to build coalition. Uh, I think we should actually like work together. And by working together, we also learn how to understand each other's situation and mindset. So only by doing so, Uh, Canada will become truly uh, multicultural and truly equal. We as an Asian community are hurt and exhausted, and it's tiring to have to explain to people over and over again why our voices and experiences deserve to be heard, and honestly, why you shouldn't be racist. It is so easy to be supportive and to share posts online with the hashtag StopAsianHate when that's what everyone around us is also doing. But being actively anti-racist should not be a trend and should not have a shelf life. It sucks, but as soon as the trend dies out, as soon as white people stop talking about it, it's not gonna be an issue at the forefront anymore. And I mean, I think 
we saw some of that with the Black Lives Matter movement um, when it was, I guess, super trendy to care about it. Everyone was posting their black squares and the hashtag and tagging each other in Black Lives Matter challenges, which is incredibly unproductive. Um, but like now I see a lot of the white people who had posted about it. They're not talking about um, Derek Chauvin's trial that's occurring right now. Um, they've deleted their black squares. They don't talk about it anymore. And that's a huge issue because it really shows us that it is kind of their responsibility because they hold a lot of power, unfortunately. And so um, I think they need to continue talking about the issue. And I mean, both of our movements deserve the spotlight still and they deserve to still be talked about and uh, fought for. Obviously, the Asian community will continue to do their work. But at the end of the day, it is up to non-Asian allies to continue that work, to continue to raise awareness about the issue, to call out friends and family when they witness racism and to stand up for your Asian friends when they're being discriminated against. It is very, very normal to feel guilty it is very normal to feel guilty because you see your people group caused another people group a lot of pain. It is normal to feel that guilt. But the important thing and critical thing is to take that guilt and turn it into something constructive. This episode of the Blackburn News Podcast was written by Haley Chang. It was produced by Haley Chang and Taylor Dixon. Remember, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen at blackburnnews.com. The Blackburn News Podcast is a presentation of Blackburn Media.